Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Good morning, Vine community. Our scripture reading today comes from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1, then 9 through 12. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our, uh, to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, today we wrap up our series that we called uh, Rebuild. And um, I want to begin by having a, a recap for those who have joined us along the way or for people like myself who have a failing memory. We began this series with the people off in exile, and they were far from Israel. They were far from the memories of being in Jerusalem and having that community uh, there together. Yet out of an act of grace, they were allowed to return. And so the people, they returned back to Jerusalem. And what we find in that first, uh, that first message is they began by rebuilding the temple. That was for us a, a, a reminder that if we want to rebuild in our life, it must begin in, in a connection with God, having this abiding, connected relationship with Christ. That's how we begin our lives. Renewal begins with God. And then the second message, Ezra then arrives on the scene, and we discovered that that the story to me more about rebuilding a physical city, that it's about rebuilding a people, rebuilding a sense of identity as a community. And so with Ezra, the people begin to have this, uh, this sense of awareness of, about their own sense of soul. A moral assessment takes place, and they begin to re-identify what does it mean to be God's people. And then after that, in week three, we meet a man named Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, yet out of a sense of compassion and a clarity of a call, he leaves that and goes to return to Jerusalem with a singular focus, that he's going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We talked that week about how the walls of Jerusalem were all interconnected. Without the outer wall being in place, none of the other rebuilding could, could happen. And so for us, we considered in our own lives how we can have a sense of boundaries in our spiritual life so that we can do the harder work of rebuilding. So what are the boundaries that we need in our life so that restoration could take place? In week four, we saw the example of, of a gift of community. As the people were spread out doing the work, the enemy of, of the neighboring communities began to stir up threats and, and have uh, violent threats that they were making against the people. And so what we saw there is the example of what God's people can do, that they saw the low points of the wall, 
they put people there to fight for one another, and they, they remembered uh, the importance of sounding a trumpet so that the people could gather there and that God could fight for them. Last week, uh, last week we uh, heard from a guest preacher, Andrea Lucado, and she shared that if we want to rebuild our lives, rebuild uh, our communities, we have to look to, to help rebuild people's uh, lives who are vulnerable and in need. And so we, we thought about around this idea that rebuilding our lives can't be just self-focused. We have to be uh, generously compassionate to, to those around us. And so here we are now at the end of this uh, season of our church life together. Here we are. And in spite of the people beginning far, far away, in spite of 140 years of the city of Jerusalem being in ruin, though the people were vulnerable, though there was an enemy that was just absolutely dedicating themselves to make sure that this wasn't rebuilt, here we are, Nehemiah chapter, four, uh, chapter 8, and the people had worked with all of their hearts, and the wall was rebuilt. After the wall was rebuilt, we find in Scripture uh, that they wanted to begin this new season well. And so they gathered the people together, and at daybreak, they began reading the law of Mo Moses. They began opening up the scriptures, and not only just reading the scriptures, but they began to explain what the scriptures meant. Yet something surprising happens. Rather than this feeling like a day of celebration, the people began to weep and mourn. Now, we have to wonder, why is that the case? Perhaps, perhaps it's because for generation after generation, these stories of their ancestors were a reminder of all that was lost. As they heard these stories, they, they, were, they, they, they heard these stories about this sense of connection to God that they used to have, and, but here they are in exile, or here they are in a city of ruins, and they, they were reminded of how they turned from God. So maybe... Their scriptures came with a sense of sadness. But in this story, Nehemiah is wanting to do something different. Jerusalem, they needed to learn that the story wasn't complete. That God was literally writing the story of scripture in and through their life. And, and this story is going to end with joy and celebration. It's going to end with peace. So Nehemiah and Ezra called to the people... This is in, in verse 9. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. In verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy cho choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Now, it's good for us to be honest with our emotions, for us to mourn and weep. But on this day, this was a day of celebration. And perhaps oftentimes when, when we are in the beginnings of rebuilding our life, we've grown accustomed to not having joy. But on days like this, in days like that we, we believe that God is moving us towards, it's important for us to be able to cultivate a sense of joy, to replace the mourning with dancing and singing and celebration. Uh, we must remember the importance of delight and celebration, the importance of joy. Oftentimes, we can craft a, a, a spiritual life, a view of what it means to follow Christ, and it can just be serious. It can feel heavy and weighty. But we need to remember that the fruit of a life with Jesus includes joy, abundant joy. If not, we might be led astray. For me, that was always a struggle as a person who loves a good party, 
for a person who loves a sense of adventure and to enjoy all that life has to offer, I used to believe that following Jesus means that we would have to sacrifice that. We would have to sacrifice joy and happiness, the best parts of life. But that's far from reality. If we were to study scripture, if we were to study the life of Jesus, what we'd find is the opposite, that our God is serious about joy. As C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. As our, or as I heard sociologist and theologian Tony Campolo say, our God is a partying God. <laughs> For instance, when you were to study the Old Testament, there's so many commandments, but within those Old Testament commandments, we have these commandments around festivals and feasts. Several times of year, the people would be commanded to stop and to celebrate to have a feast together, to remember God's provision. There's even this commandment of this thing called the year of Jubilee that would happen where for an entire year they were not allowed to work and they would have to Sabbath. They would have to rest. They would have to be together as a community and enjoy life. Even prisoners, they were set free on that year. So most commonly, prisoners were people, they were held there in prison because of debt. So on the year of Jubilee, debts were canceled. People were got off scot-free. And not only that, their land was returned to them. It was like this restart that God had, his rhythms of renewal, rebuilding that ends with joy. But it's not just an Old Testament thing. We see this over and over in the life of Jesus. Jesus was often criticized, not for being too holy or, or mourning too much or fasting, or being so serious and spiritual that he removed himself from joy. Instead, he was often criticized. He caught heat for being a God who was with those who were celebrating. His disciples were criticized for eating and drinking too much. This is, this is the kind of movement that Jesus was leading. Where was Jesus' first miracle? Well, it was at a wedding party where he took it to the next level. He took the party to the next level, bringing out the best uh, for last. When we were asked about the kingdom, when Jesus was asked about the kingdom, he told a story about a son who thought that he was chasing after what life had to offer. He squandered his inheritance at a weekend at, a, at the Bellagio, and he came back empty. He had nothing to show for it. In returning home, his father saw him, and he was much like a city without a wall. He was ashamed. He was in disgrace. He was broken down. But the father's eyes were set on him. And what did the father do? He restored him. He rebuilt him. A robe on his back, a ring on his finger. And then to finish it off, what did he do? Kill the fattened calf. Bring out the band. Because it's time to celebrate. Son, you thought you were chasing so joy and delight and the best things in life. But I'm going to show you what truly brings joy. That right there is the kingdom of God. It's a story that ends with joy and celebration. So here we are in 2021, and there are some who might feel that the calling to celebrate could feel disingenuous perhaps because of uh, just an overall fatigue of the season or the loss of what was or the challenges that are still in front of us that we have to endure. Perhaps enthusiasm and joy might not just come easily. So are we supposed to just paint on a happy face and 
become like an uber Christian, <laughs> just skate through life without being honest? No, we're called to be honest. We're called to be authentic. But we also have this invitation to cultivate joy. Much like fanning a flame, we are called to, to ensure that our lives are such that we are cultivating and bringing about joy, protecting it. So how can we do that? How do, how do we cultivate joy? Where might our joy and our strength come from? Well, we actually find it here in Nehemiah chapter 8, in verse 10. This is what we find. Uh, Nehemiah said to the people, This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think that phrase is so powerful. It almost could be a mantra. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. We can find, seek strength in ourselves. We can go chase after trying to find joy. But what we find in this, in this instruction is this beautiful reorientation. Nehemiah is trying to see, uh, trying to invite them to see things differently. That when we seek and pursue God's joy, we find this surprising strength, this surprising joy in our own souls. This is something that we might need to remember that God... God is not unemotional. He's not detached. He's not some stoic figure. But God, in fact, responds to us. God, we see in Jesus, he laughed. He got angry. He was annoyed. He grieved. He had compassion. He was moved by people. Yet when I grew up, I, the picture I had of God was some stoic old you know, like figure who was pretty unemotional other than a pretty consistent look of disappointment. Maybe I'm not alone in growing up with that picture. Yet we find in the life of Jesus, and we find in Scripture, a different picture of who God is. Even Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Can you actually believe that? That that is God's perspective, that he delights in you. He is with you, and he sings over you with joy. If we had a picture of that, if we had a picture of that, perhaps our lives and our worship would be different. It'd be fueled by this audacious belief that God cares about what I'm doing in my little life. And actually, what I'm doing in my little life brings about God's joy and his delight. And that begins just by the fact that God loves you and cares for you. I remember um, when our firstborn was, was firstborn, we were uh, you know, we would try to carve out a couple hours of sleep and she would be in the bassinet at the edge of our, of our bed. And, you know, as a new parent, you're like hyper attentive to any noise, any squeak or anything like that. So I remember one night trying to make sure that Jen could sleep. I got up while Dylan was, was stirring. And I remember I was just bouncing her around in the bedroom and I began singing maybe because I was sleep-deprived, I was doing my Louis Armstrong impersonation of What a Wonderful World. And I was singing that with the Epsi trees of green. And I was just doing that. And I began to realize there in that moment, like, this is my first dance with my daughter. And so 
I got emotional as I was singing over her. I was still doing the Louis Armstrong voice, but I was also crying. And if there's anything that you don't be woken up with when you're a sleep-deprived mother, it's your husband doing like a Kermit the Frog voice and crying while dancing with your newborn. Uh, but for me, that was just this picture of like being so, like in that moment of this little bitty life, looking at her and singing over her out of joy, out of delight. That is how God sees you, that God loves you. God enjoys you. God sings over you with great joy. That is our picture of who God is. And when we understand that that is God's posture towards us, we find a surprising strength. This is why we worship. We worship because that brings God joy. This is in such contradiction for the way we usually approach worship. We usually approach worship like a consumer. It's because so much of our life is deeply planted with, with that mentality. We exist in this world to gather goods and services that feed us. And so it's hard to turn that off when we, when we come into worship. It's hard to not approach it like we're watching a TED Talk or we're approaching it like our Amazon cart or a curated podcast list that we have. We come to worship maybe with this mentality of, I hope, I, I hope the songs fill me up. I hope that the message gets me through this week. And this is why, this is why we structure our worship is oftentimes it fails us while we have a band and a speaker on a stage and we sit in the audience and we might sing or not. We might be moved by the message or not. And I know what you do when you leave. You go to your car and you ask each other, so what did you think about that message? And you just, just douse on all the judgment, don't you? I know it. How would you feel if I show up to your work and I just said, hey, you know what? That spreadsheet didn't really feed me today. How would you feel about that? <laughs> it's so much worse in my mind, uh, especially because everything now is virtual. So right now you're watching this, uh, looking at your phone or your computer screen, or maybe you're listening to a podcast and... As we approach worship like that, it's so easy for us to do it as customers or consumers and not as participants. But the reality is, with our worship gathering, that no person is the audience. We aren't meant to be the consumer of religious goods. Instead, we are all there to worship the one who is worthy for the audience of one. My job and Brian's job and all of us who are here on this cold day, our job here is just to get out of the way and put Jesus on the forefront for the God who's worthy of our worship, for the God who actually is moved by hearing our worship, the one who is moved by hearing our prayers, a God who actually listens to us. This is why we're here for worship. And the important thing is, once we reorient ourselves in this, this hour of worship, hopefully we can take that approach into the rest of our life because the rest of our life is of the same. The rest of our life is worship. And so when we have that mindset that the joy of the Lord is our strength, not only in this hour, but in all of our life, we might find something surprising. If you put the focal point upon God, his joy, his delight, something surprising happens when all of a sudden we experience a strength and a joy 
that the person in the audience can never receive. The judge of worship can never experience. Because when God experiences joy and delight, and that's your focus, it will fuel you. That's what Nehemiah is doing to this people here who are locked into mourning, who have found sorrow in their rebuilding. What he's saying now is, take your eyes off yourself, put it on God, and discover a strength that comes to his joy. And this is not just a one-time experience that Nehemiah is doing. He's wanting to build habits and rhythm for this community to experience over and over again. Even in Nehemiah 12, the people want to dedicate the wall. So what do they do? They climb up on top of the wall with a couple of choirs, a giant choir, and they break them off into two different groups. One choir marches along the wall, singing and worshiping God, while the other one goes along the other side of the wall. And they gather all the way around at, at, the, at the, the extremes of the wall. They march all around until they, they meet there in the middle point, and then they go into the temple and they worship together. We find this in verse 40 of Nehemiah 12. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God, and so did I, together with all of the officials. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. Rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. That is the last picture I want to leave us with in this book of Nehemiah. The people experienced in these words, they experienced a joy because God gave them a great joy in that worship could be heard from far away. Marching along the wall that had sat in ruins for 140 years. Their story, though they began far away, it ends with them marching upon God's faithfulness as their resounding worship was known, and it ends with God giving them great joy. And as Scripture says, their sound of their worship could be heard from far away. This is the declaration of God's goodness and faithfulness. I was reminded of the power of worship this past week if you guys remember last week, we changed up our liturgy in the last moment in part because we had heard that our friend Wayne had uh, made the difficult decision to stop his treatment in his battle against leukemia, and he decided to return home. Uh, I don't think any of us were prepared for how quickly things would change. I was on a staff meeting on Tuesday morning, and I got a text from a member of our community saying, if we want to see Wayne, uh, the word is that we have to go right now. And uh, so a, a crew of us from our community gathered there. And if you knew anything about Wayne, you would know that Wayne loves to worship. So uh, after getting the word around, 10 of us from our community gathered there in Wayne's uh, bedroom surrounding him. Uh, we declared God's promises over him. We prayed over he and Pam. And we worshiped. We worshiped. We did that not only to honor Wayne, but we also wanted to ensure that our perspective was also upon God, God who's worthy of our worship. In a, after we left, in a matter of minutes after our impromptu choir had left, Wayne went to be with Christ. And God's work of redemption and renewal and rebuilding was 
then made perfect. And Christ's joy, Christ's joy of welcoming Wayne home and our faith, that Wayne's joy in seeing Christ's faith to face brings us strength. The joy of the Lord was bring us strength. This is our view, is that as, as God welcomed Wayne home, we remembered that Wayne's life was a spectacle of God's grace. This is the importance of our worship, as it keeps that in mind. As we continue to rebuild our lives and communities, we have to learn to cultivate that kind of joy, to put the focus upon God. And so may we turn our attention from ourselves, and, as, and we turn our attention to God. And as we do so, may the joy of the Lord be our strength. May the joy of the Lord be our strength. Amen.